know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories, bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show. Powered by Sports Interaction. Wanna bet? What is going on? Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. Part of the game. Siege, you were at locker cleanout day for the Leafs on Monday. You spent most of your time at the practice facility. As an outsider, all I saw were the tweets and quotes and comments and reactions. You were inside. You asked questions. What do you think was the biggest takeaway from Monday? That was the most surreal locker cleanout of my career. Um, usually these events are you know, follow a script. Usually they're pretty buttoned down and bing, 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 one interview after another. You know, there's kind of a feeling, quite honestly, the players want to get it over with. I think the organization wants to get it over with when, whenever I've been doing them because I'm based here in Toronto. It's been after a season that ended without a Stanley Cup. So, you know, I think everyone, it's, it's just sort of an item to tick off the agenda. And on Monday, first of all, the Leafs didn't announce it till Sunday night that it was Monday at 9 a.m., um, or about 9 a.m., I believe they said. It wasn't a hard time. You know, we got there. The first interview was at 9.47 with Mark Giordano. An hour passed. Then Ryan O'Reilly came out. Uh, pace picked up a little bit. The, the, the nice folks with the Leafs bought us pizza. But Kyle Dubas mm-hmm. didn't end up speaking to, to race ahead and not give you the whole agenda until 3.30 or just before. Um, so we were there seven hours, give or take. And, and then always, we spoke to 12 different players, plus head coach Sheldon Keefe and general manager, Kyle Dubas, no sign of Brennan Shanahan, at least at a podium taking questions. So from start to finish, it was bizarre. It felt to me like, you know, an organization again, in, in years gone by, like I get the fans haven't maybe liked it, but they've come right out two or three days after a playoff loss it's been Dubas. It's been Shanahan. It's been, we're running it back with this core. Um, you know, we're steadfast. We believe we made progress. You know, it's been resolute. It's been a clear message. The entire thing felt up in the air. Like even as the players were coming along, sometimes with an hour between them, like you just didn't know who you were getting next quite or how it was working. Um, and I think it, I think it's reflective of where they're at as an organization. It's not even entirely clear who's in charge right now. Right. And of course the, the biggest stunner of the day was, you know, Kyle Dubas kind of opening his vein a little bit at the podium and speaking very rawly and emotionally talking about how hard this was on his family this year and, and mentioned, I think it was maybe missed a little bit, but mentioned that he's kind of only that's only come to his attention in the last couple of days. So obviously he's dealing with some new information, you know, whether that's from his wife or another member of his family, I'm not sure, but um, you know, it's very clear he's not sure he wants to be back or, or that he can be back as a general manager of the team, uh, which is obviously carries huge implications for anything we might discuss about the players or the decisions still to come. And so that was just, it was a truly kind of surreal day. It, it speaks to an organization, you know, very much at a crossroads. It speaks even to Kyle Dubas. You're seeing, you know, without knowing the nature of his family situation, you know, what I can tell you is he's married with two young children I don't think it it takes uh, a lot of power of deduction to recognize that he's got a demanding front-facing job in which he travels a lot. He works late nights. He's under a lot of scrutiny and stress and commentary. 
And, you know, you could you could imagine how all of those things would take a toll on on people close to someone in that role. And so, you know, he almost seemed a bit burnt out to me, honestly. I mean, it was only 15 minutes at the microphone. I didn't talk to him one on one or anything, but it just he it, the way he came across as someone who you just wonder how much he has to give. Now, I also think that can happen. And then you take a few days and you the sun comes up and you get some fresh air and you get some sleep and you're right back into it. I'm, you know, I'm not trying to presuppose the outcome of what's going to happen, but that was, it was a pretty stunning revelation because a lot of the discussion had been, will the Leafs retain him? And now it does seem like management or, or the board of MLSE wants to do that, that they've engaged. It sounds like a lot of the contract details have been worked out, but it's not clear, at least at the time we're recording this, if Kyle Dubas himself is ready to sign that contract. And that carries huge implications because it's, you know, it's already the middle of May. And in the next six to seven weeks, the Leafs in no short order have to evaluate their coaching staff and make decisions there. They have to start laying more groundwork on an extension for Austin Matthews and potentially William Nylander. They have to keep, uh, you know, doing their, their final preparations for the draft and free agency. They have to consider trading one of their core pieces. I, I think at least explore the market on that, at least get some more data on, on what that might look like. What could they get? if they traded someone like Mitch Marner or William Nylander, maybe even Austin Matthews, who knows? I mean, one thing Kyle Dubas also said is if he's in charge, nothing is off the table as it pertains to this summer. And so we're here and it just feels kind of surreal, but also I think it is necessary that change comes to the organization. They've, they've been steadfast. They've tried it all kinds of different ways with the same group of players, with the same sort of contract structure. And, and I think it's, fair to say with the way they've lost the, the consistency in the way they've lost or come up short in the playoffs that they need a different direction. And now we just wait to see who's going to be calling the shots on that direction. When you hear Kyle say he's either keep keeping on as Leafs GM or leaving, what was your instant reaction to hearing that? Well, it's unusual, right? To me, it takes away some of the idea that this was a power play. Because if he wanted to make a power play, and, and what I mean by that is try to create more leverage for himself in the negotiations that are going on with MLSE for his next contract, you know, you would want to leave open the possibility like, hey, maybe Pittsburgh does want to talk to me. Hey, maybe Calgary would like to, to see if I'm a fit there. Um, you know, to name two of the places that, that you know, you have a, an opening right now. But really, I think that's him just saying that, like this – to me, that that makes this all feel more genuine. I have no reason to believe that that was a show, I guess, is what my point is. Um, you know, I, I think he's at that point where he's not moving his family on short order after they've been through whatever, you know, whatever that, you know, he described as a taxing year for them was. And, you know, look, all things being equal, I would have a hard time imagining Kyle Dubas willingly walking away from this job just because it's been clear how much he's poured into it. You know, one thing I thought of in this last day or so, Julian, is you might question his trades. You might not like what he says in interviews. You might hate the way he reacted in the press boxes at various times during the playoffs. Like you might think it's weird that he keeps getting Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds on the Leafs roster. Like all those things. <laughs> like my point is like you might have those questions or thoughts about Kyle Dubas, but the one thing you could never question is that this guy was all in on his job. Like he, anyone who has spent even a remote amount of time behind the scenes of the organization recognizes like he was all in heart, body, mind on trying to do the, what he thought was best for the organization. Like, like that's, 
that's a winner. You wouldn't question it. But the question I have now is, can he keep doing that? Like, has that taken such a toll? It's not possible because otherwise there's no, there's no debate that he would want to be here. I mean, this is his team. He's surrounded by his people. Um, he's still young. I, I still think as much as there might be very real and, and fair questions about where this organization is headed, like you're, you're starting, there's a lot there. And if you're making a trade involving one of those players, I mean, the potential for that should almost be energizing because, you know, there's, there's an opportunity to, to really do something magical with the team still. And so because he is that invested, because, you know, there are starting to see even some of the prospects he's drafted, you know, come up to the fringes of the roster. You know, you see Matthew Nyes play in the playoffs uh, and, and make a, a bit of an impact there. Joseph Wall. I mean, Kyle's invested so much into this. It would be hard to imagine him being the one to walk away, except for the fact, and this is, this was new information that he brought forward Monday that maybe his family situation simply won't allow it. But, um, you know, really intriguing, interesting <laughs> crossroads moment. And, and so let's just, because we, we don't know, I, I don't want to even want to guess if he's coming back or staying because it's just not fair. And, and I think it's going to be resolved really quickly. I mean, I've been told even by Tuesday, maybe Wednesday, we're going to have clarity on the situation. I don't think the Leafs can let it drag out just because of everything still to come. But if Kyle's in charge, the other thing we learned at locker Cleanout is that there's going to be change here and it might be a change at head coach. It might be, you know, one trade, multiple trades, plus the team has 10 unrestricted free agents. So there's, there's a lot, there's going to be a lot of turnover um, even if he remains. And so what a fascinating off season we have in Toronto uh, ahead. That's what I'm thinking is likely going to be the case. We're going to see some changes. Let's talk about Sheldon Keith because I understand there's difficulty in trying to figure out what could happen with the players I don't think it's nearly as difficult when it comes to discussing Sheldon Keefe. Am I wrong? Well, it's only difficult if Kyle Dubas remains because we all know about their, their long past together. And even, you know, as part of that media availability on Monday, you know, Kyle mentioned some of the adjustments he saw made, even in a losing effort that, that at least got a reaction from the players. And, and, you know, he wasn't saying by any means that Sheldon Keefe is safe, but he was saying he'd be more down on Keefe if he hadn't seen him and his coaching staff make changes within that series to the Panthers that didn't produce results in terms of wins, but, but produced better efforts or, 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 you know, he, what he saw as adjustments that made a difference. Um, so I, if Kyle Dubas is the GM, I do think that it is maybe a murky question. If he's not the GM, I, it's hard to imagine a fresh voice sticking on with him. Although I'll, I'll give you one caveat. You know, there is a circumstance I could see that Brandon Pridham, the assistant GM right now, gets elevated to this role if, if Kyle Dubas were walked out of the door. And, and you know, I haven't talked to Brandon about this, but it, he has been in the trenches with Sheldon Keefe. So maybe he, he might have some of the same observations as Kyle Dubas that, that he's done some good here. But, but if, I think if you're bringing an external voice from beyond the organization, you're, we're talking about head coaching change. And look. Sheldon Keefe has a ridiculous winning percentage in his time as, as the Leafs head coach in the regular season. Like one of the best to start a NHL head coaching career in history. But, you know, the reality is he's had four playoff runs with this team. Three of them resulted in first round losses. And, and the fourth was a five game loss to Florida where the team went out quite meekly. You know, any coach in that situation would, would be facing questions about their future. And he's also entering the final year of his deal. And so, you know, the question is, if, if you're, if you're keeping him, are you just making him coach out that contract? Are you looking at extending him or maybe are you making a change? Um, 
you know, I think all things are on the table. I wouldn't feel too comfortable, I, I suppose, if I was Sheldon Keith at this point, because all the uncertainty above him and also just it, the easiest thing to do, as we all know, is to change a coach if you're looking to for, for some kind of different result. I don't actually think he did a terrible job by any stretch. Um, you know, maybe if anything, he, he changes too much in, in the big moments. But, I mean, he's a really good tactical coach. I think he's improved. The Leafs' defensive metrics have all improved during his time with the team. I think he's, I think he's shown that he can definitely get better results out of the team. But maybe he still – maybe they need another voice to push them to the next level. I mean, that, I think that's really the question that's facing whoever makes that decision. So, Kyle Dubas – very much up in the air, but there's a possibility he stays. Sheldon Keefe, his future very much up in the air, but there is some kind of possibility that he stays. The core four is the core four. Some of those guys are on NMCs. We all know about the futures of one Austin Matthews. But considering, you know, the way those players are, the quality of those players, maybe there's an alternate universe where all four of those guys stay and they just change the rest of the of the core below no. them. What if, no. what if the Leafs do that? You say there's absolutely no possibility. Wow, there's okay. no way. There's no so there's no there's no reality in your mind that says Kyle, Sheldon, and all four of the core four come back. Something is going to change within those three tiers. Yes. I can't if if you're if you're including GM, head coach, and the four top paid forwards on the team, I don't see any world that they're all back. Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, I guess there's always a, a there's a percentage above zero where that's possible, but I don't think you get to five percent. Like I think it's I think it's a very very small percent chance. I mean this this one rattled them, man. Like they they felt that they finally had accomplished something, and of course they did. They, they beat Tampa out of the playoffs. That's an accomplishment. But then to immediately fall down 0-3 to the Panthers, to blow you know, a, a lead on home ice in game two, sort of a game you have to have in the way that a series plays out to, you know, they played pretty well actually in game four, which they won game five, which they lost in overtime. I mean, they had a chance to win those games, but they, they put themselves in the position with zero margin for error because of how they started that series. I mean, I think it, it raised all these old questions again, right. About whether they had really improved. And so I, I actually think you're going to see two changes. Um, you know, whether that's GM whether that's head coach, you know, that represents one, I guess your two could be right there. If there's a new GM, maybe there's a new head coach, but then I also, I think one of the core four will likely be moved. I, I just think that, that it, it's, it's time, you know, it's, 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 it's not just what the Leafs have done. They've been really stubborn and I don't think stubbornness is always bad. Like they've been facing these questions for years. Right. And they kept saying to those questions, like, well, we're going to prove you wrong. You know, all we need is more opportunities with this group. Like one spring, it's going to click. And, and you know, I, and I don't think that's crazy because that's it's happened over the years, whether it's the Capitals. Um, you know, even the Pittsburgh Penguins, for example, lost a Stanley Cup in 2008 and came back and won it in 2009. I mean, so often you might have questions like, can this team ever do it? Um, and then they do it. The, the Leafs are past that point, though. Like, I think even if they get in those big games, you know, the four players we're talking about might look around at each other and just wonder like, Hey, is this going to happen again? Like they, they probably have some seeds of doubt. I don't think it's crazy to think, you know, especially Matthews, Marner, Nylander, who are now seven playoffs deep, you know, in which they've gone, what one and seven in play playoff series. Yeah. They've, they've won one out of the eight they've played together. You know, John Tavares is now in, in five years with the Leafs. So, 
I just think it's time to change that up. I also think they need a shock. The other thing we, that, that probably got lost a little bit yesterday, and, and I don't know what players can say really, but th- th- there wasn't a whole lot of, I've got to be better in that group. Like it's, it's a comfortable, it's still comfortable, right? They've been allowed to believe that this was just going to happen naturally through time, that they just kept individually trying to get better, that eventually it would come together. I, I think that, I think the system needs a shock, um, quite frankly. And that shock probably isn't a coach leaving because that's, that's normal, right? They've, they've, they've had Mike Babcock be fired. I think that shock is seeing one of their teammates that they've been with for a long time relative to how long teammates spend together in sports. You know, being teammates with one player for seven years doesn't happen too often with too many organizations. Um, seeing one of those players moved and, and bringing in a new personality, right? If you're trading someone like Mitch Marner, like you can only imagine the return, but I think at minimum, the return is another star quality player that maybe even right now we'd be surprised to think of that player being moved by his team. But that's, that's, that's kind of what happens here. That's, that's how you get to Hubert Owen Weger for Matthew Kachuk. When, when we started talking last summer about Matthew Kachuk, maybe being dealt, I don't think Florida was the favorite in, in kind of the rumor mill. And, and certainly I don't think a lot of people had Hubert Owen Weger as the return, but that's the kind of thing that can happen here. Uh, obviously, if you're the Leafs, you want to be on the Kachuk side of that trade. You want to be hopefully getting the younger player and the better player. Um, but, you know, w- however it shakes down, I think that would shock the system. Like seeing that that level of change, it would change how they deploy the, the lineup, right? Depending on if it's a center defenseman. I, I mean, I don't know what the deal is going to end up being, but that to me, that's what they need. They, it's too comfortable it's too, oh, this will just figure itself out. I think they have to be proactive and and find a solution externally rather than counting on it happening on its own internally. Man, that core four, Austin, John Tavares, William Nylander, Mitch Marner. Are, again, I get it's difficult because we don't know who's going to call the shots. But like, if we're talking about making a move to shake up the, shake up the system, who do you move? Like, I, I think you could, I mean, John Tavares has his NMC, but like you could reasonably make some kind of argument for for anyone in that core four to think, okay, you make that move and that's that that's that move that could, that could potentially make your team better. Like, like, where do you go with that particular group of players? The move, the move needs to be about what you're bringing back, not just who you're moving, right? Like, I think probably it's fair to say William Nylander is the easiest to move of those players just because he makes the least amount of money. He's got one year left on his contract. It's, it's an easier trade, but as a result of those factors, you're probably not getting back as much for him. And I think there's a real question, even with the, 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 the sort of swings of what William Nylander is, Willie, the good and Willie, the bad can be, there's, there can be a vast Canyon in between those two things at times. Um, but you know, be, due to the fact he makes a little less than 7 million next year, like there's a lot of value to the Leafs in that. So I think it has to be contingent upon what you're getting back. And if you can, if you can look at the whole picture on the other side of it and, and say, okay, this is why we're better. And it's going to be a risky trade because, you know, really I'm pointing you to, you know, likely it's going to be one of Mitch Marner, or Austin Matthews, frankly, that, that I'm pointing you to. Uh, I'm not saying William Nylander can't be moved. I just don't think you're getting a whole lot of value back in that deal. Unless maybe he's willing to sign an extension. I, I suppose there's, there's a way that all that, ties together and, and it's a little different of a trade. Um, you know, John Tavares made it clear that he's not willing to move his no move clause. So I don't think it's worth spending much time on what you could do with him because it just, it just seems like he's staying here and that's, that's what it is. 
And so, you know, I, I, what's interesting to me, Julian, is it's my understanding. I don't think this organization has ever even had those conversations like in a meaningful way with other teams. Like if you wanted Mitch Marner, what would you send us or, or Austin Matthews? Like, I, I, I just think that the door has essentially been closed on that for the entire time. These guys have been members of the team. Um, and now that door is at least open. The door is open. The invitation is there. Every general manager has Kyle Dubas's cell phone number. He basically said yesterday, everything's on the table. So if you're in any of the, what are we down to now? 28 markets that, that aren't, well, 27 other markets that aren't playing games. And maybe even some of the four that are playing games might want to call Kyle and start laying some groundwork. I mean, I, I think that they're free to call the Leafs and, and put an offer on the table or start to exchange, like give ideas. That's what they do, right? They don't necessarily table a direct offer, but they say, well, if you would do this, well, then we would do this. That, that's the way they, they kind of play that game in, in those phone conversations. Um, you know, I think that now the Leafs are going to start to get information they've probably never really gathered about what their players are worth their top players. And, you know, then I think you go from what, what those, where those conversations lead you. I think you have to go into it with an open mind. It can't be, we're just trading this guy. I think it's like, okay, what are, what could we get for any of these guys? And then, and then make the decision from there. So if you're trying to point me in the direction of Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner, and look, the Leafs can do anything. This is just us talking. Those two players, it's Mitch, isn't it? I mean, Austin's the greatest Leaf of all time. They, they would want to keep him in order to ensure that they remain competitive. Not that Marner isn't, you know, lacking on his merits too, but isn't Mitch the guy to trade in this situation? Am I wrong? I mean, it, it might point there in some ways, but I, I don't know what Austin's next contract's going to look like. I mean, you know, that's part of this. And I think the Leafs already have an understanding of kind of where it needs to be. And, you know... I don't think he's likely to sign a max level deal in terms of uh, timeline. And and I don't blame him for that. Really. This isn't about loyalty to Toronto or anything. It's more, we're actually finally going to see the salary cap go up in these years, right? We're finally going to be released from this flat cap world in the next seven or eight seasons. You know, the cap could be 110 million by the end of the next seven seasons. You know, no one has that crystal ball, but the point is if you're Austin Matthews, I'm not sure it makes a whole lot of sense to lock in an eight year deal again, just from his standpoint, and finally entering the period where the cap's going to go up. So I think it, it makes the most sense for him. And re let's remember, he has all the leverage here, like all of it. The only, the only leverage the Leafs have is they can trade him by July 1st without him saying where he's going to go. But even if they traded him somewhere, he's not all that thrilled to play. All he has to do is play next season in that city. And then he's in a, a UFA at 26, 27, and he's going to have his pick of the league and he's going to get a monster deal then. And so he has a ton of leverage and I think it makes sense for him to sign a mid-level deal, whether that's three years or four years, something in that range. And it's going to be at a big, it's going to be at a big ticket, right? I think he's going to be the highest paid player by AAV on that contract. And so the Leafs might look at that and I don't know how they view this. And I, again, we don't even know who's viewing this because it might not be Kyle Dubas, but they might look at that and say, do you know what? It's just not worth it for us to, to not have more certainty than that. And maybe it makes sense to trade him. So I don't think like if, if you're just making the decision based on players, you you probably want to keep the center who scores like a unicorn who's six foot three, you know, who, who is on pace to literally rewrite the record book and the franchise. Although Mitch Marner isn't too far behind in most of the categories, certainly assists and points. Um, it's a hard call. It's, it's not easy because the, the cap situation, everything factors into it. And, 
the fact that everything is on the table, Julian, I'll just keep pointing you back to that. That everything is on the table. If Kyle Dubas is in charge, that, that includes Austin Matthews. And so Matthews has a more accomplished resume, but I don't think he's entirely clear here. And what's wild about this is that deal probably has to be made before July 1st. Not doesn't, not necessarily because, you know, the players might work with the team and all that. But I think if you're the Leafs and you're maximizing the asset, you've probably got to make, certainly with Mitch Marner, you make the trade before July 1st because he's got two years left on his deal. So there's some certainty for the team acquiring him. I think, I think any team making a deal for Austin Matthews and giving up whatever the hell that package would look like, they're going to want to talk to Matthews and, and be sure that he's or comfortable that he's willing to sign an extension there. Um, but yeah, we don't have much time for all this to get worked work through. Like no. six uh, weeks anything is nothing, else? man. When, when we're talking about the <laughs> when we're talking about the level of decision that these represent for the organization, um, whatever happens with Austin Matthews, to my mind, is even more important about whether Kyle Dubas stays or not. Like I, I think, I think if you get in a world where you're trading Austin Matthews, I mean, like that's a trade. <laughs> anyway, I don't even want to open that door too much farther. But it's kind of wild because for for so long, maybe not for so long, but like. We've we've mentioned the idea of Austin Matthews playing at another market, but it felt like we did that in jest. Now this is like the most realistic, like this is the closest I've ever heard any kind of realistic scenario to that happening. Well, the door was open to that Monday publicly for the first time. And here's the thing. I, I should be clear on this because I probably haven't made this point. I, I still believe Austin Matthews wants to be a Leaf. Like, like this isn't about him wanting out. It's, it's more that the organization is at this giant crossroads and they have to decide what, what they want, right? You know, Austin Matthews, I believe, wants to stay, wants to sign that extension on or about July 1st. Like, I don't think he wants this dragon on. He doesn't need any more speculation, you know, but he also wants to believe the team can win the Stanley Cup. I think that's most important to him. Um, and so the Leafs need to put a plan in front of them too. I mean, this is, it is, it's a little wild. We're sitting here on May 16th and, and so much feels up in the air. Like literally what could be more up in the air than like potentially moving franchise superstars, potentially having a GM walk away, potentially having to change a head coach and having to do it all in a six to seven week window at the busiest time on the hockey calendar for transactions. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to put your mind around it all. There's a, there's a reality where those three things I mentioned, the head coach, the GM, and that core four, there is a change at all three levels. I know I kind of said, hey, maybe there's a reality where everything stays. And you said, no, great soundbite. But also, there's a reality all of that changes. Well, the high, ridiculous. The higher up the chain of command it changes, the more likely there's change below, right? Like if you just get yeah. a brand new GM who's a fresh set of eyes, well, it's more likely he's changing the head coach and trading one or two of those players. Like that, I think that like the, it's it's like if you blow up, a little higher up the chain, the explosions go downwards in this case. So, um, you know, I think the quote I gave it, I saw, unfortunately, you always say something to get you radioed, but I, I, said, <laughs> I, said, I said on TSN 1050 yesterday that I expect one bomb, possibly more than one bomb. And I, I still, I stand by that. I mean, I, I think that there's one major change, if not two or more coming. Okay. What about the rest of the roster in terms of guys like the, the unrestricted free agents that are to come? What about that aspect for the Leafs? Well, I'll summarize it quickly. Ryan O'Reilly sounded like a guy who is grateful to have a chance to play close to home and be part of this for a few months, but is probably going back to, to unrestricted free agency. Uh, Michael Bunting, sort of interestingly, I think he was a little hurt this year that the Leafs didn't engage 
in, in more meaningful contract negotiations with his agent. You know, he is a local guy. He did establish himself as a full-time NHLer in these two years in Toronto. I think it's no secret he'd like to stay, but he, he was walking out the door yesterday feeling like the Leafs aren't going to extend on that invitation. You know, there's, there's time for that to change though. I mean, they have exclusive rights to negotiate with them uh, for the next month plus, And maybe, maybe once all this blows over, they go back to him and there's a contract to be done, but he certainly sounded like someone who thought he was moving on. Um, you know, some of the new guys, Luke Shen and Nolachari actually, you know, both pickups at the trade deadline were quite clear. They'd like to stay if the opportunity was there for them. I think it makes a lot of sense with Shen. He was excellent in the playoffs. I mean, really one of the great individual stories from the Leafs run was, was how proficient he was in, in meaningful minutes alongside Morgan Riley. I think the goals were 10 to two in the Leafs favor at five on five with Luke Shen on the ice during the playoffs. He just was, was steady. He, he ticks some of the intangible boxes. Uh, he's obviously there to, to fight or do, you know, handle some of that other stuff in, in the odd time that happens in today's game. And, you know, he's got ties to the organization. Um, so, so odds seem pretty good that he would stay. We'll see on Achari. Um, you know, and some of the other free agents off the top of my head, what Wayne Simmons, you know, probably not going to be back. I would say at this stage of his career didn't, you know, was only used sparingly during this run, you know, Alex Kerfoot, Justin Hall, you know, feels like they're probably moving on, even though they've been long time Leafs. I, I just see potential turnover in their, in those positions. Uh, in Hall's case, the Leafs signed also Connor Timmons to an extension. So they've got a, a right-hand shot that can maybe fill some of what Hall did. Maybe not the penalty killing, at least to start, but, you know, we'll see there. Um, you know, but it all comes back to one thing. Who's making those calls? I mean, you and I can sit here all day and say what we would do, but, you know, until we figure out who the GM is, it's hard to go too too far down that rabbit hole. That sounds like a pretty good podcast episode in itself doesn't it like you and i just sitting together like maybe in the sdpn studio or something we just try to do that like that sounds like a pretty cool idea i would do that i I would do that off camera yeah well of course that's what we all do off camera that's the beauty of a podcast is this is no different than you and i sitting in a bar other than the fact we don't have a beer and and you know we're recording it but this it's we're really just talking about what we know about the league what we think about the league what we think we know about the league and uh thankfully we got 100 percenters out there keeping us keeping us in business is there something else you want to mention about the Leafs that I didn't ask you no because let's face it we're recording this on a rare Tuesday we're gonna have another show Thursday and I think there's gonna be news by then and we'll probably be right back on the Leafs on Thursday so I think this this was a pretty good wrap-up of that that wild media day all right perfect uh we're gonna do a quick you can bet that we'll talk about the Oilers uh I have a question uh, for you about uh, the final four and the teams and the fact that they're all Southern markets. And uh, we'll get to ask CJ uh, on the other side, if you can bet that. You can bet that with David Bastel brought to you by sports interaction, get in the action and make a play 19 plus please play responsibly. It's time for you can bet that uh, remember to hit up sports slash SDPN for all of your gaming needs. Uh, sports interaction uh, in terms of their NHL futures. They have a bunch of stuff, but uh, the most valuable player, the Colin Smythe Trophy, the betting favorite right now. It's kind of wild. Before we started, it looked like it was Jack Eichel. They've since updated it. It's Sebastian Ajo with the best odds at 7.34. Jack Eichel at 7.66. Matthew Kachuk with the third best odds. Uh, and for uh, Leafs fans, they might like this. They might not like this. Frederick Anderson, 10.11, the fourth best odds for the Conn Smythe Trophy this year. 
Uh, what do you think of those numbers? Do you know what my gut reaction is? They're sleeping on Miro Haskinen. Yeah, he's been pl- he's been locking so many minutes. And there's precedent for that. You know, seeing I remember when Duncan Keith won the Consumite Trophy, a lot of the talk was just about how much of the the important minutes he played, how steady he was. To me, that's what the stars are getting from Haskinen. He had what 32 minutes in Game Seven, a two-one win over Seattle, like the tightest game you could have, and you're trusting one player to be on the ice that that's a skater for for more than half the game. Um, you know, it's you, you probably got to start. Let's face it, more often than not, the winner of the Consumite Trophy comes from the winning team. So I would be picking who you think which team is going to win, and then guess from there. But if the Dallas Stars win the Cup, I I think Haskinen's in in a pretty good spot to get some some Consumite love. Uh, Miro Heiskanen, the 17th best odds, according to Sports Interaction, to win the Conn Smythe at 39.02. So uh, if you hear what CJ's saying and you think, hey, maybe now's the time to uh, make that bet, I don't know. Those sound like really interesting odds uh, if you think Miro Heiskanen could win the Conn Smythe trophy. Of course, you can bet on some of the other players as well. And don't forget to check out sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN for all the best odds before game, in game, and the best props, again, sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN. Of course, Siege, uh, the Leafs were not the only Canadian team to be eliminated from the playoffs over the last few days. The Edmonton Oilers were at the hands of the Vegas Golden Knights in six games. What are your uh, initial thoughts and takeaways from the Oilers' season once again falling short of expectations? Well, the emotion of Leon Dreisaitl is hard for me to miss. And I know it was a tough end for him personally, to that series with Vegas, he took some ownership of that. Um, you know, was clearly frustrated, upset uh, about another year gone by where that team's not playing games as late into the spring as they would like. And and you know, I I think you like that, uh, especially if you're an outsider that seeing that level of care. And when we talk about sort of windows opening and closing quickly, I mean, I look at the Oilers with Leon Dreisaitl under contract for two more years and think like, wow. I mean, if you're in upper management there, you have to really be thinking this is the last guaranteed year you have Dreisaitl and McDavid as the centerpieces of your team. It's not saying he won't go. It's not saying he's not going to sign. Who knows? But by this time next year, we're going to be talking about will Dreisaitl sign his extension, sort of like Austin Matthews? And if not, will they trade him if, or will they let him play it out? And so this this run for the Oilers' core players uh, gets gets a little smaller. I mean, there's there's so much riding on next season. I suppose there's a world where you're trading a dry sidle and rebooting it and, and keeping it going, but there's, there's a lot of uncertainty for Edmonton beyond the next year. And so, you know, disappointing for them to go out the way they did uh, to, you know, the, I think much like the Leafs on the Eastern side of the bracket, they looked at the West and saw a real opportunity to get to the cup final with, with some, you know, difficult teams already pushed aside and instead they're, they're having their locker cleanout day this week and they're, they're facing, questions about their future and as i mentioned their future is not maybe as secure long termish as some w- would feel or like i mean that's that's just what happens the, the contractual stuff gets into it and you know even if leon dreisaitl is signing another contract in edmonton at some point it's obviously going to be at a considerably higher cap hit which carries complications for the team and so they've got they've got one more year in my eyes to to kind of go all in at this and then they're going to have some really big questions uh you know next spring I wonder what they do with this roster. I think the biggest problem that emerged in that series against Vegas was the fact that they were not as effective at five on five, but like you went through a year where you added players like Matias Ackholm, uh, Nick Bukestag comes to mind as well. 
uh, you, you you move on from Mike Smith last year. You try to see if it works with Jack Campbell, but you realize Stuart Skinner is your your number one goaltender. It's not as if the Oilers didn't make any changes. They just CJ, they just, they just didn't work. Well, they're a team built around the power play, right? They had historically great power play. And the problem with that is, and they were they they clicked on the power play in the playoffs too, but you just don't tend to get as many for one. And so you're going to have to be able to grind out some 2-1 games in, that are largely 5-on-5 five five play. And I'm not saying they can't do that, but I think some of the changes they consider or, or personnel decisions they have should be around better insulating them to be able to handle that. You'll be very curious to see what happens with Jack Campbell. I, I would think they'll at least explore if there's some kind of trade that makes sense. They'll have to look. Does a buyout make sense? You know, it's too soon to say what they'll decide, but, but it, you know, when we talk about everything being on the table, I think everything has to be on the table with Jack Campbell, just because that, that first year of a five-year deal didn't work out very well. And, and that cap space is important. The Oilers every year have, are, are dancing that the dance, the limbo just under the, the cap ceiling. And I don't expect that to be any different come 23, 24 season for them. So, um, you know, I think there's a, a decision or at least an exploration that needs to be had there and they got to keep finding good players. I mean, that's, that's the challenge. You, you have these stars, and, you know, I think that you like a lot of what you see from McDavid and Drysaddle. Like, I don't place this totally at their feet. I mean, what a Drysaddle of 13 goals in two rounds. Uh, I realize he didn't score any at the very end of the series, and, and that's part of where the self-criticism from him comes from. But, um, you know, this, this, this wasn't necessarily them being let down by the Stars. They just, they, you know, they just weren't good enough. When, when, when it came time to, to figure out who was good enough, well, the Vegas Golden Knights played really well, as you mentioned, at even strength and, and won the series and got through. And they did it with Aiden Hill, who was, it wasn't, you know, I don't know, what was he, their second or third goalie, depending on where they were at depth chart-wise with injuries and, and such. Um, so full credit to the to Vegas. They're, they're one of the teams, along with Florida, that I, I twice have said they were going to lose in round one and round two, and they didn't. So maybe uh, when it comes time to make some round three picks, I'm going to have to revise my thoughts on those two teams. Um, but you know, the Oilers, they just weren't good enough at five on five. And I, and I think they might have to ask a more profound question because they're going to have a great power play again. I mean, you, you roll out the guys, they roll out. I, I don't see why that'll change, but, but they maybe have to try to find ways to ensure they can win games where there's no power plays or that you only get one or something like that. Um, you know, and that's the problem between regular season and playoff hockey. There's a difference there. And, and, and I know people want to debate it and all that, but the, you just don't see as many penalties called. Um, you know, prison rules take effect at times during the playoffs. And that doesn't happen too often during the regular season. Make the regular season matter more. Yeah. We're not going to debate this. Fine. Okay. Well, That's okay. That's fine. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm not, I don't have a strong enough feeling. Like I've seen the debate happen a lot online and I'm not saying those, like, I, I just don't know if we would like watching a playoff game with seven power plays aside either. You, we we no. might we might complain about that too. So I I don't know the exact answer. It does feel like what we have now is maybe that there's there's a way. I don't. It's so hard. Like you watch, you watch a game like I don't know if you saw the Toronto Florida game five. You know, it gets to the third period in overtime, and you know there's not a penalty being called until TJ Brody flips a puck over the glass in the neutral zone, like totally by accident, which has really didn't break up a scoring chance was, you know, mistaken play, but that's a black and white call in the rule book. And, and he's, you know, Florida gets a power play, you know, that's, that's kind of, it starts to seem absurd, 
But then at the same time, I know if I was at a game that had huge stakes and there was like 14 power plays, however they're, they're divided up, it might feel like the, the flow's disrupted and the referees are getting in the way. So it, I can understand. I'm a little more sympathetic to like, I don't know where the answer is there. But it's true, though, that you, you can't win with just high-skilled players in the playoffs. Like I, I just think that's been proven time and time again. It doesn't mean you can't win with high-skilled players, but you need, you need to have a little different element or you need those guys to maybe play in different ways for success in the playoffs. And I think the Oilers guys are doing that, though. Like They push through. They're, they are being productive, and they're scoring some nice goals. I mean, it, but as a team, the Oilers got to try to make improvements to be better at five-on-five five to, to – be willing to navigate whatever comes next uh, at them in next year's playoffs. Yeah. Just whatever gets them to that balance. Also, if you were trying to mention other penalty calls uh, with regards to the Oilers golden Knights series, the Petrangelo slash is a good idea. The Matias Ekholm took a gash, uh, has a gash on his face off a stick. Like there's, there could be, there's some source material in that series, which I, I don't want it to well, turn into said, another discussion about how bad the refs are. It should have been more than one game like that. I, yeah. But, I mean, I don't know if that would have changed anything in terms of the outcome, but I didn't like that one. Anything else you want to mention about Oilers before we move on? Not yet. I mean, they haven't had their locker clean-out day. We'll see where the dust settles with Ken Holland and, and everyone there. But, um, you know, just disappointing for them. I mean, I we really felt like we might get, you know, a Canadian team in a cup final, and here we are in round three, and there's nothing of the sort. Let's talk about the final four teams. In the NHL, the Vegas Golden Knights will match up against the Dallas Stars. Uh, the Carolina Hurricanes will match up against the Florida Panthers. What do you think of this final four? What do you think of the fact these particular four teams have made it this far? I think it's awesome, man. I mean, to me, it's a sign of where things have gone. Like, I'll, I'll just give you the, the, my perspective on being in Sunrise for two of the games in the second round. Like, I, those were by far. And I've been down to that building a lot of times now called FLA, FLA live arena, but it's had numerous names over the years. And that those are by far the best games I've ever been there for atmosphere, for energy. You know, I covered the Panthers on the off days and stuff. Like there's a lot of local media coverage, um, certainly far more than you'd see during the regular season. You know, I've always thought Carolina is a great building for games. Vegas is a place that, that I've repeatedly put on my top, you know, three or five list of places you should go watch a game. If you want to see your team on the road, Dallas is an established market for the NHL. Like, like even though we could focus on the weather and focus on well, how many true NHL players have come from these places or what have you, I think that this is a sign of progress for the league because, um, you know, Florida would probably be what I would list the weakest market of those four, but in the playoffs, like the, you're seeing the response, I've seen the response firsthand that, that they're creating excitement in their marketplace, no doubt converting some new fans. Um, you know, I don't know how this isn't actually good big picture. I'm not worried about TV ratings. Like I, I've never understood that argument. If you're going to have teams in, in markets that you deem not to be good TV markets, well, you, you have to live with the fact that some of those teams are trying to win the Stanley cup too. Like, like what are we, what are we doing here? Does everything have to be Chicago versus LA or whatever, New York versus pick big market? Um, I don't, I don't care about TV ratings. I don't work for, any of the rights holders anymore. So like, I, it just, that doesn't like my reaction to the final four isn't based on, on that. Um, I think this will be fun hockey. We're going to get probably, you know, it's not an unlikely cup champion. Like if Carolina wins a Stanley cup, you're going to look back and be like, well, yeah, they've been in the second round multiple times. They went to a conference final a few years ago. Like they've been knocking at the door with a great team 
a well-run organization. You know, I think Dallas clearly like what they did in one draft, getting Haskin in and Jason Robertson and Jake Ottinger, like a true difference maker franchise shifter at all three positions in one entry draft. Like that gave whole new life to what had already been a good team. And, and they have some of the older players from that team still around. Um, you know, so like them winning a cup isn't a shock. I think Florida winning a president's trophy last year, big picture. It's not a shock. It's more a shock how the regular season played out that they've, you know, found themselves here. Uh, and obviously Vegas has knocked at the door forever. So like you're, you're one of organization that's really been building the right way is going to win the Stanley cup here. And you know, I'm, I'm fascinated to see it'll be, I, you know, my, my, my cup picks are all dead. So, uh, I'm starting fresh in this round and uh, I, I don't know who's going to win. Honestly, uh, the, the worst thing you can do is spend time around one of the teams in the playoffs that's having success. Like I just did with Florida. Cause it makes me go like, Oh wow. Like they feel like they have something here. Like this, this is, they've got the mojo, but the truth is, is all four teams arrive at this point feeling like they have something here that have had success that have come through hard moments, like a game seven. Um, and they're only halfway there. That's the other thing. Like I am exhausted, Julian, not to make this about me. Yes. I'm exhausted from a month of, you know, this is the first time we've recorded the pod where I'm at home in, in a month. Um, because every single day I've been out and about airports, rinks, wherever it may be. And, but the guys, and I'm so I'm imagining how the players are feeling and they're only halfway to the cup at this point. Like who has the, who's got the juice left. Who's got the gas to make go another month. I mean, that's, that's the question. Game seven of the cup final could be on June 19th. It's May oh 16th. Boy. So, so one team or two teams are potentially going to have to play for another 34 days from today. <laughs> the grind is real. My friend, the grind is real. They have to play. They have to go through all that physical stuff. They have to skate hard, try to get goals, all of that stuff. Throw their oh, face in yeah. front of pucks. Face washes, fights, all of of that stuff. Contact with pucks and sticks. I don't. There's been a lot of blood on the ice in these first two rounds. We've gotten some ass contact too. We've gotten we've gotten at least one or two ass goals. (laughs) Yes, there was there was an ass goal in the Leafs Panthers series. Yes, there was. Yes, there was. I'm trying to remember who went off Verhage. I think was it a Gouda shot? I think it was a Gouda shot. It might have been Verhage's ass and in. Yeah. Hey, man. Look, whether it go, as long as it goes in. Doesn't matter, man. We all about that ass. Goals I got it. I got to tell you that there, there was a lot of Radko Gudis love in the press box during that Leafs Panther series. Like he, he was like he was a character of mass fascination uh, from the the visiting media covering that series, just because he was in the middle of everything, and then ultimately he's in the middle of the overtime winning goal that that ends the series from Nick Cousins. So, 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 what did you think of the fact that as that goes in, he's he's like doing that yelling face in front of Joseph Wall, that photo that's going around everywhere. I got no problem with that. I mean, I have no problem with that either. That's emotion. Like, I don't think he's trying to show up Joseph wall in that moment. I think literally the Panthers just beat the Leafs in five. They just did the impossible or, or the unexpected. Anyway, I didn't, I didn't look at everyone's picks, but I don't think there were a lot of Panther picks even after they beat out Boston. So he gets a right to celebrate like that. You know, Joseph wall was asked about it. He said he didn't remember it. Um, But if you get, if you, it's sort of like way back in the day, I had no problem with the Jose Batista bat flip, not just because I'm a Blue Jays fan, but because I think if you if you do the thing, you can celebrate the thing. And so the Panthers did the thing and Radko let it loose. We, we could do a whole podcast, not to mention all these different other podcast ideas. We could do an entire, like leave that for the summer where we just spend like 20 minutes talking about the bat flip for Jose Batista. Because it's more than just, oh, hey, you hit like a go ahead, like what was a three run shot? 
like yes. up into the upper deck. Like that entire inning was it took an masterpiece hour. theater. It took an hour. There were so many different elements. I was you have every college. right to do the thing. That's one of the greatest. Oh I'm not kidding. One of the greatest sporting events I've ever been at, including all the Olympics and cup finals and everything. Like, it was magic the way that all unfolded. It was crazy. The release. Um, yeah. Awesome. The other thing I'll say, by the way, so I was in the hallway the night after Nick Cousins scores that goal and he's waiting to go into the media room. And I was just, I was just sort of like hanging around seeing who I would see, see if I any familiar faces to chat with. And Nick clearly took like a FaceTime call from one of his buddies. He's from, he's from Belleville, Ontario, which is not so far from Toronto. And he's like, what are you doing wearing that Jersey? Get that off, get on our bandwagon. So like the guy scores that the, I don't know. I wish I had a chance to ask him about who it was and what the circumstances are, but based on what the one-sided version of the call I could hear, it sounded certainly like one of his buddies called him in a Leafs jersey after he scored the overtime winner, and uh, he was he was urging people to get on the Cats bandwagon there. Yeah, I I, I could imagine that. Uh, also, uh, a Sue Greyhound alum, if I'm not mistaken. I saw that on Twitter. I actually don't know for sure. I didn't look that up, but I'm sure. I'm not sure. I'm sure if people I'm, are tweeting I, that they're right. I I just I actually not familiar with his background. Yeah, it's not. It's not like you haven't, you know, emptied the tank on other things. We'll let that one slide. Well, <laughs> it's all good, dude. A Don't lot of Sioux Greyhounds that. in the league. That's what I've learned. There are a lot. Yeah, there's like course. more than you would expect. It just feels like every time someone gets acquired by the Leafs, someone's like, "Oh yeah, he was part of the 2012 Greyhounds team that did this." Kyle Dubas can't acquire them all. Anyway, how about the Peterborough uh, Beats, by the way? What about them? That was my OHL team growing up. Well, they're up 2-1 oh, right now okay. in the OHL final against London. They shout out, shout out to them. They're heartbreak kids, man. They won game six in overtime, facing elimination against North Bay, and then won game seven. Now they're up against the mighty London Knights. The you know, put a little dinero under the table to get the best player knights. And uh the plucky Peterborough kids are in the series. I love it. That's your very early stick tap of the week. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. <laughs> it might, they might be tied to too by the time we're doing stick tap. So I, I want to get I want to get the love in while there's there's reason to be optimistic. I only had for a very brief time the Montreal Juniors as a junior team. The only NHL player I could think of who was on that team was Jake Allen. So I don't yeah. have like a oh wait, I don't have like a Q team that like I would support. Or I guess Les Rampas would be the closest one, but like I don't have a Q team. Right. Well, I was going to games. Right. We couldn't really. Yeah afford to get tickets or tickets were hard to come by for NHL games. I think I went to three games as a kid, like over my whole childhood, despite being hockey mad NHL games, but you know, we could go more to the junior games. My dad actually ended up being a season ticket holder with his buddies for 10 or 15 years. And I, you know, even when I got to university age, I'd go up there. I saw both Eric and Jordan Stahl be stars for the Pete's. Um, actually, I remember going to a Pete's game in the playoffs against Kingston and Sam Bennett, was an absolute menace. Like he was literally, he looked like Wayne Gretzky against a bunch of beer leaguers just in, in that particular game. Like he was so much better than anyone on the ice. And I think that might've been his draft year or maybe the year after his draft year. Anyway, he's, he's, he's making noise in these playoffs too, but junior hockey is great. If you can, can get out to it. I, you know, I don't get a chance to see much of it live these days, but uh, I always follow along and see who's, who's trending up and down. Are you ready to answer questions for Ask CJ? Yes, let's go. Let's start with that Bayi guy 92. 
uh, well, we kind of had this discussion a little bit, but uh, why not just, you know, give him, we'll, we'll temper this one. Is it realistic that one of Matthews or Marner could be traded prior to July 1st? Realistic? Yes. Don't know who, don't know how, don't know what, but it's, I think it's realistic when the GM says what Kyle Dubas said on Monday's avail. From Contrail off of Discord, which team do you think will overreact the most this offseason? Ooh. They mentioned all these different examples. Will, Tr- will Toronto trade one of the core four? Will the Rangers trade one of the members of the kid line? Will Chicago try to surround Bedard with talent too early and ruin the rebuild? Who does the biggest stupid? Well, I don't th- I don't think that trading a member of the core four or even maybe trading a member of the kid line is actually overreaction. I mean, that's that's like what good teams are. They, they make those kind of hard decisions in an effort to be great. Um Chicago is going to be interesting. Like th- this isn't the spirit of the question. I don't know who's going to react most. Like I'll just be straight up honest. But one thing someone pointed out to me uh, that works for another NHL team is that it's great. Of course, Chicago wins the, the draft lottery. They get Connor Bedard, but they don't have a whole lot of other prospects around him. And when we talk about contention windows, like how long is it going to take them to amass enough to be, to become good slash great before they're paying him like 14 million a year? assuming he becomes a player we think he's going to become like it's 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 going to be a challenging window for them and i think that they might have to consider dealing some of their picks or what they have now for players that are a little bit younger and more ready to compete right like crosby enters the penguins with mark andre Fleury already there chris letang gets there draft of getty malkin the next year i mean like the core of that team arrived at the same moment um and, and, you know, similar patterns played out, whether it's it's Washington with some of their guys. I think it's, it's going to be a challenging situation for Chicago because I think you almost have to try to get good quickly, um, but you also need more cross-controlled talent. So, uh, you know, winning the lottery is great, and then the, re- the reality of winning the lottery will set in pretty quickly. From Samtron. Hey, guys, I have heard Gary Bettman say that NHL refs are the best in the world. But my question is, how does he know? Do Are there metrics, performance indicators that can be used to compare refereeing quality uh, year over year amongst referees or between different leagues? A mentor always told me if something can't be measured, it can't be fixed. And I feel this is why improvements to refereeing haven't gotten very far, it seems. Fair fair question. I don't, I don't know that there, it can be measured, but I think certainly if you watch the IHF World Hockey Championships going on now, and watch it closely, you're probably not going to say, hey, we should be bringing those refs over to be NHL referees. And I say that with respect, but there's not clearly better officials in these other leagues. And the NHL has done in recent years a lot in terms of having training camps for referees. They've tried to recruit a lot of former players and have successfully done so, both to be linesmen and referees. You know, they're they're trying to get more athletic, younger people involved in the game that, that understand the game. And you know, I think it's plausible to say that there aren't better referees in the world, but at the same time, I I don't know that there's anything like, how do you, I don't know how you would begin to measure that, but the eye test will tell you it's, there's not someone working in the Austrian hockey league as a referee that is better than what you're getting from the best NHL officials. I'm pretty confident of that. This next one from Jay money. Uh, What a playoff it has been. What has been your favorite moment of the playoffs so far? Ooh, I mean, the problem is, is I would live the playoffs primarily through one team, right? I covered the Leafs for two rounds. 
So I would probably have to say the night they won their first series in 19 years in Tampa was probably my favorite playoff moment just because it was really interesting to see that happen, right? Now, in the context of the entire playoffs, I don't know what it means because then they lost in five games. But for me, I haven't been able to watch the playoffs like a fan. I've missed a lot of games because I'm at games themselves and working late into the night. Um, and so my personal favorite of just the, the 11 games I went to was, was just probably seeing the Leafs win a game in overtime, seeing them celebrate, just seeing the release of emotion that came with that. Uh, I get, and it won't be found anywhere in the history books because it didn't, uh, didn't amount to much, but I've also got to, you know, another 34 days now to, to watch what's left of the playoffs. And I'll probably see something that, you know, resonates a little deeper with me as that goes along. Uh, my personal pick is a uh, Carter for Hakey scoring the uh, series clincher in game seven over the Bruins that I, I I've been able to watch the playoffs as just a general hockey fan. And I think that is like number one for me with all due respect to the Leafs. I think that's, that's obviously a really big moment. That's really cool to see that happen. But like just the fact that the, the Florida Panthers were the giant killers that they, that no one expected them to be. I still think that's the coolest story of the playoffs. Right. And tied that game seven with a minute of change to go on Montour. So yeah, I mean like that's, as I say, there's been more impactful moments, but he's asking my favorite moment. Well, I, I, I can only go by the 11 games I went to quite honestly, because that's more that that sits better with me. Like it, it feels more real than anything I watched on TV. And, and so game six in Tampa has been my best moment so far. Uh, Nico D uh, we have a fun one for you. Uh, either playing Michael Jordan one-on-one first to three points. You need one basket. Uh, Pavel Datsuk gets three breakaways on you in net. You need to stop one <laughs> or George St. Pierre has three attempts at a takedown on you. You need to stop. You need to stop one. What matchup are you taking? Why would you fail? How would you have a chance to win? This might actually be a bit too elaborate, but I'm taking that. I've got no chance against Michael Jordan. I'm five foot seven. And, and, and I don't have any, and I don't have any discernible basketball skill and I'm not getting anywhere near a fight with George St. Pierre. So by process of elimination, I get to Datsuk. The way I win is I throw a very uncommon goaltending style at him. I maybe aggressively go for a poke check or do something he's not expecting, come right out at him. I'm not saying I would succeed, but I would just, I would look like nothing he's ever seen. I would cover as much of the net as I can. And I would just hope that at least if he embarrassed me, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be in any physical pain, which I might be in the other two circumstances. <laughs> physical pain or, or just embarrassment? Well, I mean, I've been embarrassed before. <laughs> I'll be embarrassed again. Embarrass- embarrassment is overrated. I mean, come on. No one should get that embarrassed. What did you learn in your life that it didn't really matter to be all that embarrassed? I'm not sure there's a... I mean, honestly, that's a product of getting older. Like, I think that that, I think it's a universal human experience that, you know, when you go from 20 to 30 and then 30 to 40, like you're, you're, your give a shit meter about what other people thinks just goes down because you recognize you can't control so much that, that you can only give your best effort and be your best you and you can't control what anyone's going to say. And there's no sense getting wrapped up in it. Like, quite honestly, people could say, like, you know, I get mean things said to me online. I'm sure we all do. Anyone who's slightly public facing. Like it doesn't even impact my day at this point. I just, I could care less really. I mean, I just, I try to be fair to everyone that I cover and, and do my job honestly and upfront and let the chips fall where they may. So I think I'm not sure that there's any substitute because I, if I told you at 20 that I was like that, there's, it's just not, it's not 
reality. Like I was like anyone, I think I was always worried. I didn't know my place in the world yet. Right. Well, I I've got a better understanding of my place in the world now. And so I, you know, I do my best and live with whatever happens beyond that. That was beautiful dog. Well, it's just the truth. And for any of like our young listeners, as much as you could not get involved in that stuff, I'm telling you, your, your mental space will be better. But as I say, I don't have a magic elixir. I just think sometimes you got to, you got to grow through your experiences. You got to go through hard times. You got to go through good times. And then eventually you start to make peace with the fact that life is short and you got to, you got to make the most of it and just not get carried away or caught up in the bullshit. That's honestly what I'd even tell the players. Like it's the one observation I have about around being around a team like the Leafs. It just seems like they still care so much about all the nonsense and bullshit. And like, the truth is all that matters is enjoying their moment. And and if they win games, people are going to say nice things. And if they lose in bad fashion, everyone's going to freak out. And, you know, I think that you should just have fun with pressure and and give it your best and live with the results. Like what, like I, I wouldn't spend any time micromanaging, caring about all this stuff beyond your control. I think, the Panthers, that, that's what's been the cool thing about spending the last two weeks around the Panthers. Like, they look like they're just having fun. Uh, and I get that it's a little easier. Maybe the expectations and pressure are different. But I think that they're just, like, letting the chips fall where they may. And when if their season ends with a loss and, and they don't move on at some point or they lose in the cup final, I think they're probably going to go have a bunch of drinks and just be like, what a run. That was fun. Great to be us. I think that's the best way to approach your life. And I think that's the best way for us to end uh, this Monday edition of the CJ show with some really worthwhile and fulfilling life advice. Well done. (laughs) I don't know if anyone got this far. Maybe a few hundred percenters are still listening an hour in, but uh, there's the bonus sage words from CJ at the end. We'll be back on Thursday with a brand new episode. Subscribe to the podcast, uh, whether on Spotify, Apple, or subscribe to the YouTube page for all the other great STPN content you can watch and enjoy, including the Steve Dangle podcast, which has episodes uh, throughout the week as well. Siege, we'll do this again uh, later this week, my man. I heard I might be seeing you in person. Dun, dun, dun. Ooh. We'll see. Ooh. Ooh. CJ, I'm Julian saying so long and uh, wait and see. The Chris Johnson Show. Powered by Sports Interaction. Want to bet? Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter at ReporterChris. And follow Julian McKenzie at JK McKenzie. The Chris Johnston Show.